When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of those who love a semi-transparent, sparkling tutu. I'm Hannah Leach. And I'm Audrey Leach. We are the sister filmmaking duo, also known as Two Pink Productions, and we haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them. We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, Are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are? Today we are talking about 2001's Barbie in the Nutcracker. In her first ever feature-length movie, Barbie comes magically to life. Barbie in the Nutcracker. A spectacular adventure of music and dance. really in it's really barbie in the nutcracker (laughs) which is funny i mean it would be wrong to say as the nutcracker because she's not the nutcracker right she's not playing the role of the nutcracker but if she had that would have been kind of cool happy holidays everyone this is our last episode before christmas i'm wearing my christmas sweatshirt with the leg lamp on it yeah yeah i I guess so Audrey, did you go see the Christmas tree at Rockefeller Center? Yeah. And I've seen it many, 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 many times. I'd probably see it every year at some point. It was like a little shabby this year. (laughs) I gotta say, you did send a picture and it did look a little shabbier than normal. I mean, I'm already a little underwhelmed by it. So I was like pretty underwhelmed by it. (laughs) Maybe they had budget cuts this year. Who knows? My thing I've been thinking about a lot over the past few weeks is, you know, the song Up on the Housetop? Yeah. So, okay, when you think of the chorus of that song, ho, 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 what comes next? Uh, (laughs) Don't don't think about it too hard. If you were singing it, what would you say? It's either... Who wouldn't go or like who wouldn't know or (laughs) something like that. So I grew up thinking it's who wouldn't know because that makes the most sense. Who wouldn't go up on the rooftop? I wouldn't want to get in Santa's way personally. (laughs) But apparently the actual words are who wouldn't go. But 
there's a version by Reba McIntyre where it's alternating who wouldn't know and who wouldn't go. But I'm personally team who wouldn't know and I'm sticking by it. Because well, I think it's sense. both. Yeah, I think it is both. That's why I had both in my head because I can I can hear both. They're both extremely feasible, <laughs> but I just I just was very surprised to hear anyone say that it was who wouldn't go. Yeah, because it doesn't make sense to me. Are you ready for the question for the culture this week? The culture is super sick right now. It's actually really bad. Period. So this is something that has come up in conversation recently among my friends. Question for the culture, Christmas edition slash holiday edition. If someone is going to get you a gift, like outside of your family, do you want to know in advance that they're giving you a gift slash will you feel guilty if you didn't give them one? back. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely want to know because you can only set that precedent with so many people. And then it, it's kind of like birthdays where like you, it has to be reciprocated within the year or it's like not legit. Like if say I, if say we were just friends and I got you a birthday present and then you didn't get me one, I'd be like, okay, I'm not getting her birthday present anymore because yes. it wasn't reciprocated. It has to be yes. like cyclical. So yes. I would want to know. And if I did get one and they didn't tell me, then that's on them at that point. <laughs> yes. So I am pro not telling people that you're going to get them a gift because if someone doesn't already want to get you a gift, you don't want to force an obligation on them to get you yeah. something. Well, really, it's it's the on the person who's giving the gift to actually not care if they get one or not. That, exactly. That's what it really is. It takes the emotional maturity to not expect to get one back. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's va- like that is way easier to do for Christmas than for birthdays. Yes, I definitely agree. And I don't want to know if someone's getting me a gift, really. Like, if I want to get you something, I'll get you something. Don't tell me and make it weird. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think that it would be weird to tell someone that because now you are prompting them to buy you something, which is weird, but it's with good intentions. So I understand. But would I tell someone No. We have a group chat with like a few friends and I have one friend who's really pro gift giving, like really like love language as gifts type of person. And they were in the chat being like, so how do we feel about doing like a secret Santa? How do we feel about doing X, Y, Z? And it's just like crickets, crickets every time he brings it up. And I like getting gifts for people. I also like have enough disposable income where I can do it without like breaking the bank or whatever. But the total silence is so disrespectful and I feel so bad (laughs) for the person. Like I texted him separately and was like, you just got to do your thing. If you want to get gifts or if you want to give them, just give them. But don't expect anything back. I do not blame anyone for not wanting to participate. Are you ready to talk about the facts here? Mm -hmm. Barbie Inside the Nutcracker was released straight to video on October 2nd, 2001. And it was rated TVY, which is confusing because it didn't air on TV 
it was straight to video, but there's that. It was directed by Owen Hurley, who uh, either executive produced or directed all of the following. Barbie in the Pink Shoes, Barbie of Swan Lake, Barbie as Rapunzel, Company of Heroes, that whole series, Warhammer Dark Crusade, Casper's Haunted Christmas, lots of like animated semi-low budget shit. And the movie was written by a few people. So it was based on the tale written by E.T.A. Hoffman, who apparently also wrote the tale of the Sandman or like probably was compiling folklore into a book and the Sandman also got mixed into that. And then next we have Linda Angle Sipen wrote a lot of other weird home video animated things. You may remember the name Rob Hudnut. He is yeah, back once again. He worked on all of the following Barbie projects. Life in the Dream House, Barbie and the Secret Door. All these have Barbie before them. Mariposa and the Fairy Princess in the Pink Shoes, Princess and the Pop Star, A Perfect Christmas, A Camping We Will Go. Executive producer of all of these things. An unreal amount of Barbie content. There's more than that. That is just what I have. Last but not least, we have Hillary Hinkle, who had three credits, and I didn't write them down because I didn't recognize any of them. So sorry to Ms. Hinkle, but let's get into the synopsis. IMDb. In her first movie, brimming with Tchaikovsky's <laughs> enchanting music, Barbie gives life to the plucky young girl, Clara, as she narrates the fascinating story of the Nutcracker to her younger sister, Kelly. When Clara receives a lustrous wooden Nutcracker from Aunt Elizabeth Drosselmeyer as a Christmas present, that same night, the magical toy comes to life to protect her from the army of the evil Mouse King played by Tim Curry. The invader manages to shrink her to toy size. Now Clara and her defender, the brave Nutcracker, embark on a marvelous adventure in search of the beautiful sugar plum, sugar plum, <laughs> sugar plum princess, the only one capable of breaking the spell. Can a dash of valor help Clara thwart the king's plans? By far the most comprehensive synopsis, <laughs> as you insane. will see. And the other two are really short. Letterboxd is, quote, Barbie's stars as Clara in this animated retelling of the classic Christmas ballet, complete with Tchaikovsky soundtrack and ballet choreography. And the Rotten Tomatoes one is Clara wakes up one night and discovers her nutcracker has come to life and needs her help to defeat the evil Mouse King. Three taglines. First one is starring in her first movie. The second one is, I'm doing my Barbie voice, starring in her first feature length movie. <laughs> and the third one is Barbie starring in her first movie. They have a lot of messages there to communicate to really us. Really boring. Clearly, the branding was robust. Is this her first movie? Is that true? It, well, it was the first of like this type this cast. It's one of those situations where it's like very booked and blessed voice actors that we're not really gonna know, but I'm just gonna go quickly, except for one person, obviously. We have Kelly Sheridan. She is the voice of Barbie in like almost every Barbie thing that exists, especially all of these like computer animated movies of this era. Shout out to Kelly Sheridan for bringing what she has brought into our lives. Next, we have Kirby Morrow as Nutcracker slash Prince Eric. 
He has done voice work in Inuyasha, X-Men Evolution, RoboCop, and Escape from Planet Earth. Next, of course, we have Tim Curry as the Mouse King. To me, this is a very similar casting choice as when they casted Martin Short as Preminger in Princess and the Pauper. But Tim Curry is like a very beloved actor, best known for his roles in Congo, Clue, The Three Musketeers, and The Rocky Horror Picture Show. However, as a voice actor, he has also done a lot of interesting things. He was in Barbie and the Three Musketeers, so this is not his only appearance in the Barbie franchise. Okay, this is just like me cherry-picking things that I thought were interesting. He was the voice of Lemony Snicket in a series of Unfortunate Events video game. Of course, of course, of course, he's the voice of Nigel Thornberry in The Wild Thornberries. He was also on Will and Grace, Hey Arnold, he's in Muppet Treasure Island, and he played Rooster in the 80s Annie which makes me very happy and that totally tracks. I feel like Alan Cumming is very much in the lineage of Tim Curry in a lot of ways. So that's great. Yeah. And you haven't seen that one, have you? I saw it for the first Mm -hmm. time like last year probably. What do you think? I mean, it's like obnoxious, but it's good. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Annie's not really known for its subtlety across the board, but yeah, the one that we love is so good. So I, I understand. We have Chantal Strand as Kelly. She is like the voice of Kelly and then has also done like a ton of like little girl animated media, like straight to home video type of things. Okay, budget, we have no idea. Mm-hmm. Opening weekend, there wasn't one. Yep. <laughs> Worldwide gross, Barbie in the Nutcracker had a 94% sell-through rate and sales of over 3.5 million units on video and DVD. It grossed U.S. $150 million in total sales, including associated merchandise. And then just to define what a sell-through rate is, sell-through rate measures the amount of inventory you've sold in a month versus the amount of inventory shipped to you from a manufacturer. Sell-through rate is an important retail sales metric that allows you to monitor the efficiency of your supply chain. (laughs) Audrey's reading directly the copy and paste. But yeah, I thought that was interesting. Now we know what a sell-through rate is. I'd be curious what the sell-through rate was on the 10th Kingdom as well and all of our other movies of this vibe overall. So now getting into critic and audience opinions. This was an interesting ride. Their critic score was 20%, which makes sense to me. And I have some critic opinions here. First one, this was just from someone random on Rotten Tomatoes. It looks rough, but I think that in this case, there are enough other things working that I can handle it. Next person from the New York Times. The film works well enough according to the undemanding rules of Barbie. With its adventures in fairyland and magical transformations, this is a diverting, inoffensively sweet tale for very small children. Next from The Hollywood Reporter. The Hollywood Reporter praised the film as wholesome entertainment for young girls, writing, Barbie is all gentle and generous and not afraid of a villain or two. The story is strong, the animation splendid, and the music and choreography delightful. The entire production is first rate. And then we have a hater review. Variety says... A generic fantasy adventure observing similarities to The Wizard of Oz, and they wrote, pre-adolescent girls may be charmed by sugary sweetness of Barbie and the Nutcracker, but they shouldn't expect their parents or even slightly older siblings to join them for repeated viewings of this made-for-video trifle. Literally, light, lighten up. 
I know. I'm like, you're, you mean to tell me that Variety, someone from Variety is sitting down and dunking on this for money? It's sad. Well, we also dunk on things for money. You're so right. You're so right. But with something like this, we're not going to be like, fuck children. Yeah. Like you just have to know when the dunking is worth it. Right. Like, this is the most inoffensive thing ever. Like, yeah. it's not worth dunking on. I will say, the Common Sense Media section was interesting. Okay, so Common Sense Media gave it two stars and said that it's good for ages five and up. Parents need to know that there are dolls and product tie-ins that accompany this movie. Also, Barbie is not as strong-willed or as complete a character as she becomes in later Barbie movies. There are some <laughs> perilous moments as well as some hand-to-hand combat. The Mouse King growls and threatens with ferocity using words like stupid, idiot, and so forth. Compared <laughs> to later Barbie movies, this feeble variation of Tchaikovsky and Balanchine's Nutcracker portrays Barbie as a watcher, not a doer. <laughs> she helps the Nutcracker with some of his tasks, and she stands up to the Mouse King in a scary confrontation. But she's more interested in being the romantic link than the heroic one. And then these are the topics that families can discuss. Families can talk about leadership roles. Why does Prince Eric feel that he has let his people down? What are your ideas of good leadership? Which came first, Barbie or the Barbie movies? Do you think that her movies have more value than long advertisements for the doll? Why or why not? Do you think that there's more value in these movies than just being long advertisements? I think the value of them is not so much like the lessons learned or some shit, but more just like how strange this visual medium is. The friends we made along the way. Yeah. I think there's value to them, but not because of the story. Yeah. Also, rewind. She's more interested in being the romantic link than the heroic one. God forbid. You know what I'm saying? I know it's for kids, but it's like, we need to make space in feminism for delicate women. That's a joke. Why Why do we have to choose? Yeah, like, like it's fine. I want to talk about the archetype of Ken in the second half. Audience score and letterbox average star rating. The audience score on Rotten Tomatoes was 59%. And the letterbox average star rating was 3.4. So you probably already know where this is going. On audience opinions, weirdly, there were no Rotten Tomatoes reviews for audience. Here are some cherry-picked reviews from Letterboxd. And when I say cherry-picked, these were like off the top. I was not scrounging for these. And they all are annoying. They're all so annoying. Okay, the first one, three stars. La La Land 2016 who? I don't even get that. Why would someone say that? Because of the dance sequences. Ah, okay. Yeah. Next one. Five stars. I need to know more about Aunt Elizabeth, the constantly traveling unmarried relative who beckons our young protagonist to join her on adventures, aka the token lesbian auntie in every 19th century narrative. (laughs) I wrote down, please stop. This is the gay agenda in a bad way. When people talk about the gay agenda, this is it. You are way too flip floppy on this topic. I don't disagree that she seems like that character in this, but I am just like, 
My refrain is that I'm just like begging people to come up with a new take on anything. Yeah. It's like, okay, you're going to log on to Letterboxd and say something's gay. No way. Like, I just, I hate redundancy. And then the last one, five stars. You mean you used to be not a nutcracker. Happy holidays, everyone. This is literally one of the best films ever made. If you think I'm joking, I am absolutely not. It's lesbophobic. This was not nominated for best picture. What are they talking about? (laughs) I don't know. I think they're trying to make an argument that like the nutcracker is trans. Can we just not? Are you serious? I don't think that's what, I I think they were more likely to say that well, <laughs> no, I feel like it's like, Wait, it can't be the ant because they're related. <laughs> no, no. What I'm, I think what they're implying is that it's like the nutcracker used to not be the nutcracker because he used oh. to be a different gender question mark. I just hate this review. Like just yeah. don't, just don't. Cultural context. Here's what I got. So something interesting is that this movie was choreographed by the New York City Ballet, by their main choreographer, master-in-chief, Peter Martins. The film's music, of course, was based on Tchaikovsky's score for The Nutcracker, and it was performed by the London Symphony Orchestra. They do stay booked. They're recording shit all the time for movies like this. Unsurprisingly, the film's ballet sequences feature the movement of New York City ballet dancers, computer animated through motion capture imaging. You can very much tell. Yeah, we know. You can very much tell, not in a great way. And then in terms of the product tie-ins, Barbie and the Nutcracker had an extensive product tie-in campaign. The products included a book, eight dolls, a Hallmark Christmas ornament, ballet bags, and sleepwear. The toy line included Barbie as Clara slash the Sugar Plum Princess, Ken as Prince Eric, Kelly and Tommy as their feature characters, and a horse and candy sleigh. The Barbie as Clara and Ken as Prince Eric were available in both Caucasian and African-American models, as they said. Her first movie, Barbie and the Nutcracker, it's Sugar Plum Princess Barbie. Lovely golden crown, hair tumbling down, and sparkling gown. And then also just something that was funny to me is that on the Wikipedia page for this movie, it also was like related articles, list of films featuring miniature people. (laughs) So then I ended up looking at the list of films, including miniature people. And I thought that was funny. When did we first watch this movie? What did we remember before we watched it? I have some things, but Audrey, do you want to go first? Um, I'm pretty sure we had it on VHS, not DVD, Mm -hmm. um, which gives it a date like pre our DVD player is when we got it. We had both Swan Lake and this one, and they're both like very much dance heavy. And Mm -hmm. so I did appreciate that aspect. But like Princess and the Popper, of course, was our number one watched one. Like Nutcracker might have been my last place. I think to me, Nutcracker was third place. Yeah, yeah. It's it's either third or fourth just because, I mean, they're very dance heavy. And because of that, they are focused less on story. Like it's like Princess and the Popper has a lot of story actually to follow. Yes, it does. And so does Rapunzel, like more so. Swan Lake will be the last one that we haven't done. 
You're right. I'm excited to watch that one again, though, when we get to it. Okay, so to me, this movie is definitely a Christmas movie. I think we got it for Christmas one year, potentially. That seems very possible. We had the Barbie of Barbie in this movie. Her crown was like a little clip. The tutu was to die for. It was like layered and there was like a sparkly like top sheer layer to it that was really pretty. Um, her yeah, legs, and the legs. Yeah, the legs were like with the, with the hinges. Mm-hmm. And so were the feet so she could be like on point and her arms had like the hinges on them too. It was a good doll. I loved that doll. And I was also just a big Barbie person, which you guys know at this point for sure. I'm pretty sure that we got the movie in Boston because it was the, actually, no, it would have been the, Christmas before we were living in Boston. So we got it at Silver Lake. And then I definitely remember watching it at Grandma Irene's house. Like, I think it was a VHS that we like traveled with to a certain extent, or she may have had it. Other things about it before I rewatched it, obviously all of the accents, all of the like really overdone English accents I remembered. I remembered, of course, the opening with Kelly. I always just think of the thing in Rapunzel when she's like, can't you just tell me what to paint? Like that angry thing. (laughs) Uh, But that's not in this one. That's kind of all I remembered. And then of course the dancing at the end. But other than that, yeah. There wasn't much going on. Yeah, I just remember Nutcracker. How yeah, exactly. It. Guys, <laughs> do not pay to see. I did. See I paid. This. I paid. I, I knew you would. I knew you would. And I was, was going to text you. I, I was, was going to text you and say, don't pay for it. But I knew you would say, well, I can't because I want to watch it on my big TV. Like, I, I like. That's was, not what like, I did. I watched it on my laptop. If you want to watch it on like an Apple TV or whatever, yeah, you're going to have to pay for it. But like, if you are HDMI it to a TV or if you just watch it on a computer, you can find it for free in like 20 different places by simply Googling. I did Barbie Google it. Cracker free. It's on the Barbie Wikipedia, the Barbiepedia thing. You know, here I was rushing to get this movie watched. And because of that, I just took the path of least resistance. Yeah. So I'm just telling you all, don't pay for it. Yeah, listen to Audrey. I love spending $4 for no reason. So that's what I did. So listen to Audrey's advice and then meet us back here after a quick commercial break. I hope they don't try to sell you better help, but they probably will. Christina Yerling Biro, host of the podcast Pop Culture Confidential. Join me as I go way behind the scenes with some of the most influential people in entertainment and media. Hear actors such as Succession's Brian Cox talk about his favorite characters to play. There always has to be a mystery. The audience have to be in a situation where they want to know what's going on. Meet studio execs like Pixar chief Pete Docter and learn his secret on how he makes us cry. Emotion is our first language. And so many others who are defining popular culture, from Obama speechwriter David Litt to Top Chef host Padma Lakshmi. We don't often think about food politically or we don't want to, but it really is. Join me. Search for Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts.
Okay, everyone, welcome back. It is time to talk about Barbie and the Nutcracker from 2001. I have one thing right off the bat, which is opening credits. You got the blonde little fairy and the brunette little fairy flying around, which unlocked the strong conviction in me as a child, which is that those were us obviously. (laughs) That did not cross my mind. I don't know why though. That was the first thing I thought is there's me and Audrey. That was our thing for a while. (laughs) You get a brown haired individual and a blonde haired individual. That's us. It's just funny though, because now it's like neither of us actually have the hair color that we have. That's true. Okay. One thing about this movie that is ridiculous is that it's actually three stories. It's a story within a story within a story. You like, are why we right. Gotta keep coming out. I wrote the idea that Barbie constantly tells 90 minute stories to Kelly just to tell <laughs> her to keep trying or something <laughs> is really funny. That is funny. And a little, that's the format, I guess. That's how they like it. Yeah. Like she's like, okay, Kelly, sit down. I'm going to yell. I'm going to literally attack you with a 90 minute detailed story just to tell you to keep trying. I know when she was like, when she was like, like Clara, when they were learning the choreography and she was yeah. like, Clara, I was like, I feel the same way as you, Kelly. Who is Clara? Yeah, I'd be like, can you stop bringing up random people and things that I don't care about? And can we just stay focused on the topic at hand? <laughs> can you just show me the choreo, please? I will say yeah. though, I did write down Kelly sucks. Because Kelly does suck. Her vibe is off. They set her up to fail in every movie. It's not her fault. (laughs) That's true. That's true. She's the one who has to have some sort of shortcoming for the lecture to then be spurred on. Yeah. Like, why is she always the one struggling? Why can't Barbie just be having the struggle? Because then she couldn't tell the story, I guess, to someone else. Should be Kelly's version of the story. I was finding it humorous watching it this time that... Basically, the character of Ken, because in this one, it's a nutcracker, but like it ultimately is Ken. Ken is not a macho, uber masculine character. Basically, what Ken is, both in like doll form and in the movies, is like a man who supports and respects his female counterpart. And is very, he might be a little bit like chivalrous, like sometimes he's a little bit old-fashioned, I guess. (laughs) But he's always nice. They don't have conflicts. Barbie and Ken, that that is not where the conflict is. No. You know, it's just like you notice that are there little boys, you know, little boys who are into like whatever the fuck, like Hot Wheels or something. (laughs) We always go to Hot Wheels when we're talking about boys. Hot Wheels. Um... (laughs) I don't know why, but it's Hot Wheels. They're not like fans of Ken. They don't love Ken. No, this is such a good point because Ken is like a woman's ideal. A simp. (laughs) Not a simp. He has emotional intelligence. In a good way. Yeah. Like, I, I, when people say simp derogatory, I'm like, okay, like, I don't agree, but sure. You don't agree with what? We like using simp as a, like an insult. I think it just has that connotation that it's an insult. Yeah. It's just funny that like Barbie has a male doll counterpart that is super pop, like super famous and well-known, but not famous and well-known by little boys. 
Yeah, well, because Ken's an accessory, kind of. Mm-hmm. And I also think it's interesting because people are always like, Ken is gay, Ken is gay, Ken seems gay. Because yeah. he kind of, he doesn't really have a solid personality. No, he's just like a himbo, maybe. He's also out of his time. Like a lot of times in nut, the in the Nutcracker, like when the guy who shows up at the end in Clara's like real life, yeah, who like arrives out of nowhere and is like, "Hello, I'm." Eric. Yeah, he was very like formal, <laughs> and he like was kind of chivalrous vibes. But I guess that makes sense for the era of Clara's story. I don't. Well, know. I will say, let's not forget that he kisses her hand, and the uncle's like, "Oh." Oh, this is unacceptable. Like, the familiarity. Like, even that was edgy. The the kissing the hand was edgy. I think he's a little bit underappreciated. I don't disagree. (laughs) I do not disagree. Did you ever watch um, Life in the Dream House or, like, anything? Life in the Dream House was good. I think there was a few things, a few scenes and clips from that show that became memes. And that's what caused me to watch it. But what they do with Ken in Life in the Dream House is definitely a departure from what he was in the early 2000s movies. And he like has a full personality seem that way, I guess. It's funny. Yeah. I, I like it. He's he's a campy individual. Yeah. And um, it also reminds me of what they do with Ken in Toy Story when, mm-hmm. when Barbie and Ken are in that. Yeah. It is just really interesting to think that like Ken is formed in the female gaze, if you will. Like that is yeah. that is such a rare thing for toys. And it's kind of true for like like there really aren't like sexy lady dolls for boys. Obviously this is very no. gender everything we're talking about, but just like go like, with us. Dolls as an entire concept are gendered away from boys. Yeah. So, yeah. So just the fact that even though he's a boy doll, he's still a doll. So they're not into it. It's also just so interesting because, like, you take a doll, you shrink it down, and you call it an action figure, and it's not gay anymore. Just because it's plastic. Well, they're all plastic. Yeah. But just because it's, like, hard, like that, like, hard plastic with no clothing, like, no, no accessory. All of a sudden, it's like, this is made for... They literally function in the exact same way. Yeah. You're, you're doing the exact same thing with both. Action figures, I guess, fill that slot of doll Yeah, for the, the boys. Yes. But that's only through marketing. Like, I think probably a lot of boys that had sisters played with dolls. Totally. There's no reason not to. I guess if you don't... I think there's this, like, research that's, like, a lot of boys don't like to do pretend to play in that sense, like, interpersonal drama. Yeah, this just seems like a missed opportunity to me. Playing with dolls is fun. They could practice. (laughs) (laughs) Practice being a human. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's why men are such messes, because they didn't get to practice. Yeah, like, regardless of their natural inclinations, it it can be true that they are not as inclined to play in that way, but they should be encouraged to play in that way. Yeah. Because they need it just as much, if not more, than we do. Yeah. So. That is definitely true. Yeah. Shout out to Ken. Thank you for doing what you do for us. (laughs) A line that really made me laugh was, 
I'm a nutcracker. Sleep seems kind of pointless. (laughs) (laughs) There were a couple lines that were actually really funny. And like, yeah, like uh, when the king's like dismemberment or barbecue. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, what the hell? Also, that that beat down was really severe. (laughs) When he gets like chucked up against the fountain and he's like, shit, he's like crumpled in a pile on the ground. I was like, damn. And I was watching it at like 1.75 speed. So it was like really violent all at once. And I was like, damn, is he going to survive that one? Did you have the experience when you were watching this of like, you know, we've talked about this before, when you're a kid and you like listen to people talking and you don't understand what they mean, but like it gets saved in your brain and then later you watch it and you're like, oh, that's what they were saying. That was happening to me like constantly with this movie. It's just funny how like kids will watch movies that are for them, but you're really not listening. I've, I feel like it's just a lot more visually entertaining than it is like story-wise or like what they're saying. Did you notice that when they kissed at the very end, it sounded like people booed? <laughs> yes, absolutely. They kissed and there's one person who's like, boo. It's not supposed to be a boo. It, I remember even is when it? I was a kid, it sounded like a boo, but it's not. But it sounds like it, 100%. Oh, another thought I had was like, what is this movie? And same goes with like Beauty and the Beast. But like, what are these movies where people get transformed back into their true form? What lesson does this teach children if you can't just magically transform into a hot person one day? It's like, what are we supposed to do? You just go in the trash if that doesn't happen to you. Yeah, like we don't get hot person transformation privileges no, we in don't. this life. No, we don't. And everything gets better for them at that point. It's kind of encouraging, like, it's encouraging, like, change yourself. It's like grease. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. Because the idea is that, like, you defeat the evil or you learn your lesson in, quote, being ugly or whatever. At least that's what it is with Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. With this one... They're not really saying that that prince was a bad prince before. Well, they are because all of the subjects are like, fuck that guy. He was a bad leader. I guess they, I guess it is the same then. It's like the same. The politics were a little (laughs) dicey. It was a little unclear. Also, I felt like they really glossed over the fact that, (laughs) that that the mouse king was like the advisor to the original king. Yeah. Why is this such a thing? Very Princess and the Popper. Yeah. But it's also like every movie where there's yeah. where there's some issue. Twitches. 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 Kind of uh, the Lion King almost. Yeah. And it's always, as we've seen many times, but a lot of times it is like a, a gay-coded yes. type figure. Yes. That is the evil counterpart to the once wholesome yeah. king yes. that existed. Are you implying that the rat king played by Tim Curry is gay? <laughs> I have a sneaking suspicion. 
I think of it less as gay and more as like rambunctious and English and weird. And it works. Yeah. I think I think the Rat King was the most entertaining element. Yes. I definitely agree. I also thought that scene with the bat and the Rat King when the Rat or excuse me, the Mouse King, when he turns like the other mice that have flopped into statues, all of that dialogue was actually really funny where he was like, I need to make them useful. And then he's like, statues, paperweights, bookends, like all pretty useless things. Like, I thought that was funny. Yeah, but that character in general, Pimmy. Oh, boo. Just add him to the list. Add him to the list. Yes, wholly unnecessary. And you know what? He's a lot worse than the ferret in Rapunzel because at least that guy gets to say Village and is weird. (laughs) And this guy is just... uh, (laughs) Village. (laughs) I saw it today Uh, in the Village. (laughs) Uh, This is kind of a shit post. There's two more shit posts in terms of gay and other things. Is Prince Eric using his detachable arm as a tool disabled representation? What do you mean? Like his arm gets broken, but then he uses his broken arm in all of these alternative ways to save the day. So, yeah, I guess so. It's like. Use your weakness. Your greatest weakness can become your greatest strength. You can save (laughs) Captain Candy from falling into the abyss. Speaking of which, when the general said Captain Candy, I wrote that down. (laughs) Um, What was the deal with them? Why were they together in the first place in that treehouse? It's Major Mint. It was in my notes. Yeah, Major (laughs) Mint is kind of a menace. and We got to talk about... That their choreo at the end. So. Oh yeah, that that has really lived in my mind for quite a while. It's really funny and it's very memeable. So immediately when I saw that, I was like, I'm just gonna put that on TikTok and see if it can do numbers. Yeah. So I did. It could be doing numbers <laughs> as we speak. Here's a question. This is a classic question. Is the dancing diegetic or non-diegetic in the end? It's diegetic. I think, I think it is diegetic. too. Yeah. But they're not acknowledging the skill involved. Is it because it's all no, a dream? No, they're just like, they're just like vibing. Yeah, I think like the the dream element of it, it's like a story being told to Kelly. It's Clara's dream. Yes. It's Clara's dream and it's Clara's story being told to Kelly. So at that point, you are too many degrees yeah. of not real. So yeah, I guess in a, in a way, the entire story is is non-diegetic yeah. because it's being told to her and it's like a fable. So, but within the context of that story, it is diegetic. It really seems like it is. Yeah, because they're all just standing there watching it. It's not like they go somewhere else. Like the audience is there. The same people that were booing are the audience. I also have to say about that scene, the transformation of Clara into the Sugar Plum Princess could not be better, in my opinion. Yeah. She looks so good. She has, like, giant, crunchy dance recital curls, which I think is funny. And the glitter on the outfit. It's beat only by Brandy and Cinderella. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's true. In terms of animated, though, I do feel like this is very high up. Yeah, it's high up. 
And that would be a fun ranking, actually. Yeah. OG Cinderella is also really good. A good transformation. Yes. I know we can't talk about this yet because we're going to save it for when we get to it. But the purple dress walking out of the ocean moment in The Little Mermaid, I have no words. Everything about that is so good. It really slapped. (laughs) Because here's the thing they don't know. Like, if they would just make it, like, beautiful, I don't think anyone's going to complain. Like, it's like... I th- it makes me think of like um, Megan Fox and Transformers. Mm-hmm. It's like that's so male gaze, and it's also not beautiful. Like what she's wearing, it's just like yeah. plain as fuck. Yeah, it's like if you would just make it stunning, then like I think you could avoid <laughs> make it undeniable. <laughs> you could you could really avoid some of the male gaze accusations. Claims. Yeah, like just make it appealing to everybody. Yeah, I need that locket asap. The gold heart locket. We did have. We had that. We didn't have the exact thing, but we had some that were like it. Our names were on. I wish I had that still. I wonder where it is. I don't know. We got them. I liked that locket. Yeah. We had family friends that got each of us like a ballerina themed music box with our names on them, like engraved on the little clasp. And then it came with the locket. It was like a gold heart locket with our names on it. And then two little like ballet slippers. That was good shit. Music boxes are underrated. Piggy banks, music boxes. <laughs> we need to bring those underrated. into adulthood more. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why not save some money? Why not put your coins <laughs> in a festive in vessel? There? Agreed. I kind of want one now. Yeah, me too. At the end of the day, is this movie kind of boring? Yeah. It is. We are kind of scrounging here to even come up with things to say, which is saying something because this was a movie we watched a lot as a kid or as children, but there's just, just fine. It's boring. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, it's seasonally relevant. I think it would be fun to watch uh, if you have nostalgia for the movie like around the holidays. Yes. And Obviously, if you're a Tchaikovsky fan or ballet (laughs) fan. This is your moment. Yeah. That's fun because the choreography, you can tell how good the dancers really are. Yeah. Like, they are amazing at what they're doing. It's just like, I'm almost sad that I can't see the footage of them doing it. Same. And like, I do want to go to an actual production of The Nutcracker. It seems fun. Very fun and festive. I definitely agree. Yeah. It's not good. And it's only worth watching if you have nostalgia for it. That is our takeaway. Yeah. I wish that that wasn't the case. I still think that her look at the end is one for the history books, but that's a little bit of the only thing. And Tim Curry. Tim Curry and the final look, those are the two highlights. And honestly, Aunt whatever the fuck her name is, Aunt Drosselmeyer. Aunt Elizabeth Drosselmeyer. I like her energy. They did not have to make them the Drosselmeyers, and yet that's what they did. I like her vibe. She's got a good vibe. Agreed. She's weirdly formal. She is. (laughs) She is weirdly formal. You're right. Um, (laughs) I feel like after the the depth we went into with Little Women last week, this was a much-needed fluffy moment just to get you excited for hopefully a very fun, unstressful weekend if you are a Christmas celebrator. 
We hope it's a good time. We hope there isn't family drama. We hope that there's good food. I'm excited for Christmas Eve because I got a cute outfit because Audrey got a cute outfit and Josh is like dressing 24-7 these days. So I need to step up my game to catch up with him. The table's turned really quickly on me there. I don't know if I'm going to wear that. Because the skirt is tight. It's like very tight. So I'm like, I want to eat. Is it a bit much for for Christmas? (laughs) I'm like, I want to eat food. So like, I don't want to be uncomfortable. Well, we should at least get a pic with the full outfit and then can change. I might not. To look to. Honestly, it's just like a little small. So I'm like, I I might not wear it. Okay, well, I'm sure you'll (laughs) serve one way or another because you always find a way. Where can they find us? (laughs) (laughs) Where the fuck... Where, can you where find the us? fuck are we even? You can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover dash cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at twopingproductions.com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at sleepover cinema and post a full video version of each episode on YouTube every Thursday. You can follow me, Audrey, at Audrey Anna Leach on everything. You can follow me, Hannah, at Hannah Ray Leach on Instagram and at Lana Von Trapp on Twitter. Join our Discord if you haven't yet. I talk about it every week, but it's so fun. Just join us there. 24-hour group chat. That's how I like to describe it. You can check out our merch at twopingproductions.com slash shop. And our Caseify code is still active. It is 15 sleepover and those links are in our link tree. And in the episode description. Give us a review. Leave us a review. Gift us a review on Apple Podcasts. Oh, gift us. Yeah, that's what we Give want for Christmas. Give the gift actually. of a review to that's us. so serious. Yeah. That's the best way to put it. (laughs) Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Roll Hoffman with theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Executive producer is Michael D'Aloya. Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. (laughs) Bye. Bye. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.